Welcome to the School of the Word. This is Lesson 46 in our teaching series, As in the Days of Noah, titled The Church of Ephesus. Our teacher is Alan Smith. Amen and amen. As we begin this morning, you can turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 19. We'll be uh, citing some scripture there as we move forward in our teaching this morning about the how is the church to respond, how is the church to act in 2023, what type of world are we in, and uh, it's important that we have a view of reality that's accurate, and it's not a, uh, <clears throat> I've got, I'll give you a little news flash here, some of the things that you think are really bad aren't. And some of the things you think aren't are. It's uh, because the enemy puts emphasis on what he wants us to see. And he'll put just enough, enough emphasis on something that, uh, did you know that demons will sacrifice each other for the sake of their gospel? <clears throat> they will. They'll sacrifice each other. They'll, they'll use each other like stepping stones. And so, therefore, the, we all know, or we tend to know and agree, that the news media is controlled pretty much by our adversary. And, um, and, and in knowing that, we need to take into consideration that our adversary will give us what he wants us to know. And it's not that he gives us things that are not true. He'll give us things that are true but I've got a feeling the greatest truths we're not seeing. And if you want to see the greatest truths that are happening in this world that you can't see, you've got to look at God's Word. God's Word will tell us what the enemy does not want us to know. And so it's in the light of that that we're looking at the Scripture this morning in the book of Revelation. We're looking at the seven churches on how the church... Uh, is to react and respond in this day uh, that we're living. Now, you know the drill. As in the days of Noah, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. All of the New Testament is lit, written in light of the second coming of Christ. So that's the backdrop. Backdrop is second coming of Christ. All of this is in light of His return. Now, we where we ended up uh, last week, was I went over the Isle of Patmos some. Um, John, of course, was on the Isle of Patmos. He was in exile there. And he was sent there because he was causing a lot of trouble. So for whatever reason, God had him sent there. They uh, thought they were sending him there to stop trouble, and he created more trouble. Uh, you got a revelation from Jesus himself on the Isle of Patmos, and the Isle of Patmos, believe it or not, is it's amazing how much of it's preserved and has not changed on the Isle of Patmos. Also, we have in our minds that Paul or that uh, John stayed in the cave the whole time, but the truth is all over the Isle of Patmos, even though it's not that big, it's still pretty good size. Uh, there's places all over the Isle of Patmos that shows that John went around preaching and teaching and talking about what God had shown him. And so 
perhaps we could do more of a study on Patmos in times to come. But for the sake of time, we'll move on. But here in the Isle of Patmos, John got a vision uh, from Jesus himself. This is somewhat just a rendition of what the vision was. You see he's got the seven stars in his right hand. Uh, then we see the candlesticks. You see those, the seven candlesticks. Stars uh, are angels and candlesticks are the churches. And uh, so with that vision in mind, we're going to start with chapter 2. And it is the things which are. Now, if you if you are in chapter 1, or of, of there gives us a way to understand the book of uh, Revelation. Uh, hold Acts 19, turn real quickly to Revelation chapter 1, uh, right quickly, and then it'll be verse 19 is where it'll be. But as you look and approach, I've shown you last week several things, how you got multiples of sevens. I showed you a key how uh, the seven, uh, you got the seven seals, they take place in the seventh church. You got the you got the seven uh, bowls there in the seven, or trumpets, you got seven trumpets there in the seventh seal. And I'll show, I showed you last week or two how these groups of seven, you got four main groups of sevens, and they depict at the end of each one, it's the second coming of Christ. So you've actually got four different renditions, if you will, of the second coming of Christ in the book of Revelation. And when you see they're all pointing to that, it starts making more sense. Here you see in chapter 1, verse 19, it gives us another key on how to understand this book. Verse 19, it says, Write the things which thou hast seen, which the things that thou hast seen would be prior to when he wrote verse 19, right? The things thou hast seen. So we know that's the vision. Uh, then he says to write the things uh, which are, and then write the things which shall be hereafter. So it's, it's past, present, and future. So he tells, so this book of Revelation is, is written in those three divisions, the things that were seen and the things that are. We're going into the second, to chapter two, and that's the things that are. Then in get into chapter four, you get into the things uh, which will be hereafter. So as we get into chapter two, we see the things which are, and we pick up here. I want to move Fairly quickly, I have a good bit of information I'd like to give us. Now, the message to Ephesus, the church at the end of the apostolic age, first love left. I went over that and showed how last week how the seven churches uh, depict seven different time periods, if you will, uh, in the last 2,000 years. And it's just amazing. We'll not get into that history, but it's just amazing how that works. I went over it a little bit last week. Um, now, Ephesus and the Apostle Paul. Now, th this first church is, is just so interesting to me because as a believer in 2023, and we know with abortion, we know with transgender, we know with all of these topics that we must be in the end of the end. And we must be living in the worst uh, time there was ever to live. As, I, as If we get done with Ephesus today, you'll change your mind. You'll think we're in the worst of times here. You should have been in Ephesus. You should have been there in that uh, church, the Ephesian church. 
Um, now, my, my point being, we have to be careful. I'm not saying we're not living in some bad times. But you, the times in which you're living is not the motivator on how you live. The motivator on how you live is your devotion and love for Christ. I don't care what time period. We tend to get hung up in, well, I'm, well God's going to be a little extra special on me because I'm living in the worst time there ever was. And, well, that's not going to fly. You know, times have always been pretty tough. And we'll look at this church. I want us to have a good, fresh view of where we are today and what we have to combat and what we're to do. And, and you're going to find out, even though as bad as things are, we are living in the greatest time to accomplish something for the kingdom of God that's ever been on planet Earth. And so we're going to stand before God with a lot of egg on our face, I'm afraid. And, and yeah, help us, Lord. Now, let's, let's watch this. Ephesus and the Apostle Paul. Now, that's Acts 19. If we get into this first church, chapter 2, the church of Ephesus, uh, we'll get into verse 19. I'm going to cite some scripture here in a minute. And Acts chapter 19 tells you about the church of Ephesus, which is the first church that John had his vision about. Now, sometime later, Paul was there for over two years, and many years later, he sent Timothy to this church. So I'm going to pick up a little bit in Acts 19 when Paul was at the church of Ephesus. Now, as we're trying to frame up what the angel said to the church of Ephesus, it's important that Ephesus is more than just a name to us. We've got to know what Ephesus means. Hey, here's another thing, too. It's interesting to me in all these missionary journeys. Um, Paul tended to, and the apostles, they tend to go to the big cities. Uh, they, and they would go to the crossroad cities, if you would. Uh, the, the cities that were on the main paths of, of commerce and, and the main paths that people would walk on. Now, now, keep that in mind. Now, the two letters to Timothy are addressed to him while he is working there. All right, those two letters to Timothy are addressed to Timothy while he was there. Now, watch this. After John had written the book of Revelation, he also went to Ephesus and spent the closing years of his life there. Isn't that interesting? After John left Patmos, where did he go? He went to Ephesus. And there we know that he, and there's a lot of things there in Ephesus even today, given testimony to John being there after he left Patmos. So you got to understand, what do you think John preached when he went to Ephesus after he left Patmos? Y'all are not going to believe it. I just, I had a vision here a few years ago. And, and it raised a stink because it was an anointed message. All right, are you with me? Now keep all this in mind. We got Ephesus and, and uh, John went there after that. Now we can see here, you see Ephesus there. Uh, on this little map, I've got the seven churches. We're going to start uh, at Ephesus. And of course, you see Smyrna right up above it. But also down at, if you go uh, due north, you're going towards Antioch, uh, uh, Tarsus. It's not on the map, but there, there was a, 
if, if you go down below Laodicea, you got uh, Tarsus and Antioch. There was a major highway, if you will, from, from Antioch up to Ephesus that went up to Pergamum. And it went to Thyatira and over to Pergamum. In other, and it went from uh, Ephesus, uh, uh, Smyrna, Thyatira, Pergamum. You had a main thorough, you had a main highway that zigzagged uh, across Asia Minor. And this is where all of your your main commerce was. Your that's where people would travel. So here we've got Ephesus. And I maybe have it on another slide, but Ephesus, you've got the main road coming down to Ephesus, and, and then the, you've got the main road coming up to Ephesus. So Ephesus was an incredible crossroads, if you will, of all the cultures uh, that were moving uh, uh, around the area. So Ephesus is a big deal, it's a big issue. All right, let's move on here a little. Ephesus was the largest city in Asia Minor in the first century. It was the largest city. A center for ancient, occultic, and pagan rituals. That's what Ephesus was. It was a center for that. Now there again, we can look around our country. Now here, here's, here's our problem. When you put Christianity on the backdrop of Ephesus, Christianity looked pretty good. But when you put our Christianity on the back of America, which had a Christian backdrop, to us things are really bad, which they are compared to our backdrop. Everybody with me? Now here Ephesus was being invaded by the gospel, and here we see the exit of the gospel. Two different backdrops. One reason we know we're in trouble is because we can tell we're leaving what our culture, what our founding fathers had. We can feel the leaving. We can see the leaving. And so our backdrop is a Christian America. So therefore, as believers sitting here, uh, we feel like we can see the deficit in our country. In Ephesus, you got the opposite. You got pagan, you got a center of paganism, and then you got this loud mouth, the apostle Paul, going to run into Ephesus. Now, you already had some believing Jews there because of the apostles. Now, okay, now let's watch this thing. Now, the great uh, Artemis of Ephesus is the goddess of fertility and was worshipped there. So you had this great uh, Artemis. Um, it was actually the god of fertility. I think I get into that a little. The Temple of Artemis, also known as the Temple of Diana. Y'all heard of that one? That, that was the Roman god interpretation. Uh, was a Greek temple dedicated to an ancient local form of the goddess Artemis. So Artemis, you see that in Scripture, Diana. Uh, Diana would be the Roman interpretation. And uh, here at Ephesus, uh, it was Artemis. Now, now, that is a big deal. Countries, and Trevor taught on these gods with a little g over countries. Now, not only do you have gods over countries, most countries had some sort of god 
that they worshipped. The United States, where we're a little different, we had Christ as our Savior. We claimed that Jesus Christ was the God of this country. Even so much, we put it on our money in God we trust, right? So we have a tremendous heritage, and, and there's, there's no need for us to look at others for the reason it's leaving. The reason it's leaving is because the church is not fulfilling and maintaining at least its heritage. Are you with me? A whole lot of egg on our face when we stand before God. Now, we can blame the old sinners and the old gays and everybody else. We can blame them all we want to. But we started Christian. We didn't have to win it. All we had to do was maintain it. We're wondering why we can't win people to Christ. My land, we can't even maintain what we gained. Now, I guess I got to preaching here just a little bit. All right, now let's watch it. There's this goddess of Artemis. Uh, actually, that statue is still in Ephesus in like a museum type thing now. Uh, it's nine and a half feet tall. It doesn't do it much justice there. And I'll not go into all the stuff that's on that goddess. You can figure it out for yourself. Now, the Apostle Paul preached in Ephesus and shook up the city. So here you had this big city where all this commerce comes together. It's right at, it's kind of at, you could say it's in the middle of the road from north to south, but it just so happens that's kind of where both roads met. <coughs> Excuse me. And you can say, well, why was it so important? It's because it was a huge port city. You see, it came from south to north, north to south. Bam, he hit right in Ephesus. Hey, I'll meet you at Ephesus and we'll catch us a boat. In other words, it was this port that came in to Ephesus. Now, what actually happened years and years and years later was the port kept filling up with sediment. To what happened to Ephesus was the port got closed up because of the silt and sediment that filled up that port, filled up their canal from all the building and everything they were doing around there, and it all washed in there and filled her, filled her pond up. And they were in trouble. But anyway, so then, but that was hundreds of years later, several. But So the apostle Paul preached in Ephesus and shook the city. Now, the reason I'm going over this so much in Ephesus, when we read what the angel said to the church in Ephesus, I want us to have a greater impact to us of what he's saying. Now, 40 years later, 40 years later, after his exile, John settled in Ephesus and shared with the seven churches the writings about them. Now, John used that kind of as his hub. Also, the apostle Paul used it as his hub. So Ephesus was a big deal. It was a hub for paganism. And John, he moved there. And there again, I don't like cities. But in all honesty, when they were getting the gospel out, they hit the big cities. The reason is, they, it was hard to go to every little city, so they would catch everybody as they was coming through the city. 
That's what uh, John did. That's what Paul did. If you want to know where Paul hung out, at the pagan temple of Artemis. Don't look at me like that. That's where he hung out. I'm going to show you why. There is the, that's in Ephesus. That's today a shot of one of the great theaters in Ephesus that was overlooking, that wasn't far from the port that came in. But that is a huge theater. And it was so designed that the people in the top row could hear what they were saying down the bottom. Isn't that amazing? And that's one reason they did these amphitype theaters. We got the vision. Comes on the scene here, Revelation 2. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write these things, saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now we see here, this is this angel to the church of Ephesus. I've already been over with you that each church has a specific angel assigned to it. Um, I keep looking and hoping. I don't know that we'll ever get the revelation or the name of the angel that's over the church of New Life. Uh, don't know that that'll ever happen. Maybe it will. If you claim to have that, I would uh, encourage you to be sure before you share it. <laughs> and you can ask me why. Okay. All right, number one, he was in their midst. He was in direct control of the angels or the churches, and therefore he had full access to the leadership of each church that we saw there. That goes on into the next verse, and watch this. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how canst not bear them which are evil. That's a good thing. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars and hast borne and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. So I think that's a pretty good brag right there. So we can see that these Christians were very active in their leadership of the church. It was an active church. Their faith was well defined, and they checked up on what was trying to come into their church. So they were very aware, and you can see why the church at uh, Ephesus because all of these pagan deities were there. The main honcho, Artemis or Diana, that was the seat of this pagan god. And they were resisting false teaching. So that sounds like a pretty good resume to me. But they had a little something going on that he didn't like. We'll get into that. The apostle Paul had warned them that they would have trouble in this area. So we see that, that Paul had told them in Acts 20, 29. He said, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. So we can see that Paul was there for three years. And it says that he warned them night and day. How did he warn him? What did he say? Now watch this. It goes into the next verse. It says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because you have left your first love. So he has his resume. He did all these wonderful things. He even watched out for false teachers. In other words, you had your doctrine down. 
you were you were good at catching the warnings. You had your doctrine down, but in doing all of that, you left your first love. Can anybody identify with that? In other words, in a marriage, you can do always the man can do always supposed to. He can work, he can provide, he can get a house, a car, do everything he's supposed to do. But guess what? If you fall out of love with your wife, what good's the marriage? That's what he was saying. He said you've done everything right, you're doing pretty good, but you've left your first love. Now, that's convicting to me. I don't know if it is to you or not. Now, there's a reason for it. Now, let's look at it here. This is what happens. Even though this church did some things well, we can see that this church is still in serious trouble. The church had endured hostility. I mean, you'd think that would count for some kind of cootie points of some type. The church had endured hostility and suffered for Christ, but yet it had lost its love like it had in the beginning. Now, they'd lost its love like they had in the beginning. That's key. So what you want to do is you compare how much you love Christ. Now you say, well, I really love him more. Yeah, but are you as giddy as you were in the beginning? Help us, Lord. That's, that's all he's saying. What opposition did the church have? What happened when Paul first preached the gospel there? What is the loss of love all about? I want, you, I want to take a little deeper dive here quickly. Ephesus was once a thriving port city. The city was an active port that is now blocked by sediment, silt. That was how it had such influence. It was also at the end of an important road that ran across Asia Minor uh, to Tarsus and to Antioch. In the first century, uh, Ephesus was the hub of great commerce. Ephesus was a crossroad between different cultures. That's important. It had huge public buildings and an enormous theater, which I have shown you, a library and the Temple of Artemis, which was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Isn't that something? One of the seven wonders. Now look at this. This is the library. It just so happens that's the front end of it, and they had so... Uh, most, most, a lot of that has been reconstructed from the pieces that were laying around, but they, it was amazing how on the front of the library they had uh, so much of it still laying there that it could be uh, reconstructed. There, of course, is that Colosseum from a, an aerial view. I mean, the thing is, it's huge. I forgot how many people it held. I forgot to write. It was just, I'm like, oh, my goodness. I thought we had big ones. Uh, that's what they call the theater. This is some of the buildings that they had uh, outside of there. It was just all over uh, Ephesus. And there is a rendition of the temple of Artemis or Diana, one of the seven great wonders of the ancient world there. Um, there's just parts of it. They still know where the place is. They have, I think, one or two columns left. Uh, the columns were like 90 feet tall. Um, uh, they uh, they had had them on wall coverings and stuff so they can make a, a a rendering of what the temple looked like. So that temple was the center of Ephesus. Now, as we're seeing how the temple worship worked, that's the temple of Artemis. What happened was Ephesus was one of the largest and most important cities in the world at that time. 
Ephesus was a perfect place for the gospel to go forth to the world. That's the reason Ephesus was a big deal. It was, was considered at that time the largest uh, city in the known world. So where did uh, Paul run head in, into? Right into the thick of it. He just jumped right in the middle, a big city, which I don't like cities. Did I say that? <laughs> he just ran right in the middle of it. It was for this reason that Paul settled here during the period of his missionary journeys. Paul stayed there for three years. Acts chapter 19 gives us these details. Now, here is the library. I mean, that thing is so, I, I, I got hung up here doing all the research on this library. That, that was, you know, there was basically three uh, main libraries. This was one, Alexandria. I can't remember the third one. Do you remember the third one, Trevor? There was, there was three huge main uh, libraries. Uh, this is the third largest library of the ancient world. It housed more than 12,000 scrolls. Isn't that amazing? Uh, on the now, here's what I want us to see. It had over 12,000 scrolls. This library was open to the public. You see, people didn't, didn't have many writings or, or books. Or, so one reason this library in Ephesus was created is so the public could come there and read the scrolls. So that in itself was a huge drawing factor to Ephesus. And then look at all the scholars and, and all the philosophers. And so when you get to these big amphitheaters and these places of, of debate, you can see that this was a center that drew in all the brainiacs of, of the known world. These were not stupid people. They had all great intelligence and, and philosophy, and, and they, they knew their stuff as far as they knew. Now, what I want you to see on the steps is a car, carving of a menorah, which gives us proof of the Jewish presence. You see that little carving, that menorah there? That is on the steps of that, uh, that library, which was actually out of place. But it gives us proof of a Jewish presence in Ephesus. Now keep in mind a Jewish presence. Jewish presence. Pre-Christ, they were looking for the Messiah. Jewish presence was looking for the Messiah, right? Now, according to the book of Acts, Paul would first speak in the Jewish synagogues. Now, we know that before uh, the end of the book of Acts, or which is Acts 28, 28, is when the great prophecy or, or of Isaiah uh, was spoken that Paul referred to. Uh, up until Acts 28, 28, Paul went to the Jewish synagogues first. And we all know that as Christians. You've heard that all your life. Paul went to the synagogues first uh, through Acts 28, 28. The book of Acts, now you've got to remember, lasts for 30, 32 years. That's how long the book of Acts lasts. So Paul went to the Jewish synagogues, we know, for 28 to 30 years. Right? So you got to think of something here. Well, most of the early churches were converted Jews. They weren't converted Gentiles, even though Gentiles got converted. For the first 28 or so years, the foundation of the early church was Jewish believers. Had you considered that? That's the reason it's important to see the menorah in Ephesus. We know that there were Jewish, Jewish there. 
But also we know that there were Jewish believers there because Paul went into the synagogues first. Now, a lot of them that he was eventually run off from, but he had people, Jews, converted that Jesus was the Messiah. So a lot of the foundations of the early church, the first uh, people that were converted in cities were Jews. That is something that the church today doesn't consider too much. Now, with that in mind, there was a large Jewish community in Ephesus, Acts 19, 8 through 10. Uh, and he went into the synagogues and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. You see that? But when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of, of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of Tyrannius. You see that? He left the synagogue and went to a school, a Tyrannius. And this continued by the space of two more years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Now turn to Acts chapter 19, and we're going to read quickly of what happened here. Paul went to the Jewish synagogues first, and he preached. Some were converted, some weren't. But get in mind, the Apostle Paul in Ephesus, in this huge city, goes to the Jewish synagogue first, as he was commanded. And this is what happened. Verse 1, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at uh, Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. Okay, so we can see there are already some converts. He said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Well, see, they were converted some by the, some of the disciples. But then Paul, because of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, he said, hey, have y'all run into the Holy Ghost yet? Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. So the question is, can you be a believer and not receive the Holy Ghost? According to that verse, you can. Now, so we, we hear of this doctrine that we hear of, the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Is that a real baptism or not? Well, the answer to that, according to Scripture, is yes. Well, I know of arguments that you know, most Baptists say that you receive this baptism of the Holy Ghost same, at the same time that you're born again. Well, it just so happens you can get the baptism of the Holy Ghost as the Holy Ghost chooses. The Holy Ghost does baptize sometimes when people are converted. Then sometimes it's later. And guess what? There could be more than one baptism of the Holy Ghost. This thing keeps going. Some people don't have the baptism of the Holy Ghost for healing, but they want it. Guess what? You can get it if the Holy Ghost so chooses. So don't get too hung up on this verse. Just question yourself. See if you got any baptisms or if you want some more. That's all I can tell you. Now, since we got that one cleared up, let's move on. It says, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be a Holy Ghost. I love that verse. 
Because whenever time I read it, I'm like, Lord, I know I don't have all of your Holy Ghost because if this is all, your Holy Ghost is in trouble. So I know there's more. And we say there's more, Lord, right? What are you talking about? That's what you're talking about. It's more, Lord. It's more baptism of His Spirit in your life. Baptism means you've been immersed in that. I can feel the Holy Ghost right now. I don't know if you can. Goes on to verse 3. And he said, Unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? They said, Well, we, we heard about John. John come along and told us to repent. And we got this water baptism of John. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, said unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Started a new denomination right there. Because we have some people say, well, if you've been baptized, but have you been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus? Another denomination. You think I'm kidding, but I'm not. You see. So Paul come along and said, hey, there's more after repentance. What, the idea, what he's showing is there's more. Don't think that you're sitting there as the end product of all the Holy Ghost has got that you're, that's available to you. That's a praise God. Because you are not the end result. I don't care how smart you think you are. Most Christians think they've got it all, but they don't act like it. If you got it all, well, let's heal and raise some dead. You ain't got it all. But we're to seek for more. There's more out there. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spake with tongues and prophesied and all the men were about 12. All of this commotion over 12 people. Don't you think he took out a lot to put in Scripture just for 12 people? You can tell when God's doing something in 12, he's setting up a bunch of people to go out. 12's a number. He's going to send you out. Look back up here at my screen. So that's what happened now. When Paul first went there, he went into the synagogues, but not only that, he went into some believers, and those were probably all Jews. They might have been a Gentile or two snuck in there. But remember, Paul first went to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. So he went there, he run into 12 believers here, and he said, hey, y'all want some more? And they said, we hadn't heard of no more. Paul said, there's more. Now the church can't lose that truth. Just because we don't have it doesn't mean it's not there. So as we sit in here today waiting on God, I make an announcement to you, there's more God than you've experienced yet. Don't judge God based off of your experience. Because that is not what's going on here. So we're to seek with a hungry heart. More Lord. More Lord. All right. Let's see what else we got. Paul is forced to leave the synagogue and start a new work next door. So Paul did all this. This happened to the 12. He gave more. They said, that's enough, Paul. No more. The Jews that weren't converted said, Paul, that's enough. So Paul says, okay. So he goes next door. Cranks her back up right there around the synagogue. 
Didn't run him off too far. It is here that Paul would continue to spread his message. Paul would speak in the hall of Tyrannius. Tyrannius was the owner of a lecture hall or a school in Ephesus. He is mentioned only once in Scripture in conjunction with Paul's ministry in Ephesus during his third missionary journey. So Paul moves over to the town hall, rents it, I'm sure, and he keeps going on a couple years. Having been publicly opposed in the Jewish synagogue, Paul then began to preach to the Greeks in the hall of Tyrannius. Paul first went to the Jews. Some of them were converted. There's already had a few converts there anyway. And then he goes to this hall, and in there it starts speaking to the Greeks. People from all walks of life would come to hear Paul preach for the next three years in the hall of Tyrannius. Is that not amazing? Now, it's this church, it's this setting that John's speaking to in this first church. Now, let's look at it in Acts 19. Let's go to verse 8. Now, this is Paul. We're moving right along now. He's, he's run out of the Jewish synagogue. He got him a few converts, took off, went next door, started another work. And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God, which allows you to know that the apostle Paul was a disruptor. His truth that he preached was disruptive to the Jewish synagogue. But when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of the one Tyrannius. Verse 10, and this continued by the space of two years so that all that they dwelled in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Now I'm going to move on here. Look at my board up here. Paul did many signs and wonders there among the Greeks. Now, so here we go, Paul. We kicked out of the Jewish synagogues, got him some converts, went over down the streets, rented out a hall town hall started preaching and kept preaching. And while he was preaching in there, he did signs and wonders. Now this is Acts 19, church is Ephesus. So do I believe that the church today has the ability of signs and wonders? The answer is yes. I also think it has the ability for more Lord. Yes. And we as a church are sitting here without its people going into the more Lord closet and getting more of the Lord for this day in which we're living. And it's going to kill us if we don't get off our hinder parts and ask God for more Lord. Now watch this. So Paul did many signs and wonders. Paul had great favor with many, but it also started an uproar with the followers of Artemis. That's that Greek god. Some of the followers, you got to understand now, not only did he have the Jews now against him, Artemis, this Ephesus, the city of Artemis, this is where Artemis rules. Ephesus was also a hub for occult and pagan worship, with Artemis being the main god. The statue has been preserved and is still on display. The cult of Artemis was a god of fertility, a mixture of male and female gods. You see that? This God would attract pilgrims from all over the known world. Today, we see this mixture again. 
Are you with me? We're seeing male, female. We're seeing me. No, I'm. No, you're seeing this mixture. What's the God behind it? Trevor was teaching us about it. It's the God of Artemis. Fertility God. All about sex. Sex has been deified. Man worships sex. The worship of Artemis created an incredible business opportunity. Now listen, all of this is about money. The abortion, I don't care, whatever. It's all about the money. What happened in Ephesus was in Ephesus, people and pilgrims from all over the known world would come to Ephesus to worship Artemis. And then Artemis, all of the all of these businesses were built around this temple and created little Artemises. Come watch it. There, that was the statue there. Now look at Acts 19. Let's look at verse 11 quickly. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. You see that in verse 11? So that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Does anybody want more of that, Lord? Then certain of the vagabond Jews, now watch this one. Now, so now we got some Jews come up. They weren't believing Jews, but they were on the coattails of Paul, and they were show-offs. Verse 13, then certain of vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them, which had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preached. And there were seven sons of one Shiva that a Jew and the chief of the priests which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who in the world are you? And the man in whom the evil spirits was leaped upon them, overcame them, prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. It doesn't pay to get a smart, elec, arrogant attitude around somebody walking in the power of God. Don't run up there and act like you got it. These guys was trying to run along beside Paul. They saw him do signs and wonders. And because they was hanging with Paul, they said, well, listen, we can can exercise demons. And they said they got this guy. They called out the demons. The demons come out. God said, Paul, I know Jesus. Well, we don't know who you are. Those demons jumped on those arrogant people and whipped them, struck them naked, And they ran off like a bunch of chickens. What happened? God judged the arrogance in front of all. Now that's just part of the downside of the presence of God. It's not a place to fake it till you make it. All right, let's go on here quickly. So we see this happened. Uh, What verse did I stop on? Uh, Verse 16 Uh, Verse 17, And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. You see that? Many of them which uh, used uh, curious arts brought their books together. Look at this. And burned them before all men, and they counted the price of them, and they found it 50,000 pieces of silver, and that was hundreds and hundreds, thousands of dollars. Was that a big fire or what? Verse 20, So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed, 
After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the Spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Arcadia to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered unto him, Timothy and Radus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a season. So here we see that Paul did these signs and wonders. They were real. And not only that, then a fake crowd came in and tried to perform the same things. But the anointing was so that the pagans, you got to understand, these pagans were coming in to worship Artemis. Paul was there on the scene preaching the word and the gospel of God. So he was catching them on the street as they were going through. They got converted. Why? Because he was baptized in the Holy Ghost. And what he said went to the hearts of the people, converted them. It condemned them of their sin. They repented and they were converted. Something supernatural took place in Ephesus at the heart of pagan worship. At the heart of pagan. Why? Because Paul had the goods. So here we moved right along here. The temple of Artemis was also a banking center. You see, this temple was ever, the whole city was built around this big shrine to Artemis. Not only was it in the banking center, around all of these uh, silversmiths were creating these little figurines. That's how they made money. New laws of the land would be posted in that temple. The temple owned a lot of property in Ephesus, which brought a huge amount of money into the temple. The whole city lived in the shadow of this temple of Artemis. I hope you're getting i I'm not where I need to be. So I need you to come back next week. I need you to get the idea of what's happening in Ephesus here. And I want you to get the historical understanding. I want you to visually see what's out, because I believe the Holy Ghost told me that if I told it correctly, you could see it. And then as you saw it, you'd really get the impression of Paul in Ephesus. And you'd see the setting of Ephesus, the pagan gods. Listen, it was worse in Ephesus than it is here yet. We ain't got there yet. Come on, y'all. Don't tuck tail and run now. Paul was one man. He had a few, he had 12 converts. Shook a whole cotton picking city. Ultimately, shut the city down. Come on now. That's what the power of God looks like. That's what the power of my God looks like. What does the power of your God look like? Lord Jesus. We love you. And we ask and pray, oh God, that if there's anything I've said is not at you, I pray it fall. But if anything I've said that's of you, I pray that you'd put it into our spirits that we could see what your spirit wants us to see. I pray, oh God, for these other more Lord baptisms. Yes, Lord. The apostle Paul asked him. So Lord, I ask and pray for everyone that's watching online or that's in this building as they sincerely ask you for more of who you are, more Lord, another baptism of your spirit. Yes, God. I pray, oh God, that the baptisms of your spirit would start increasing to a point that the church of Jesus Christ could be guilty of a place that you could find God. Yes. It'd be guilty of a place that the hurting come to, the lost come to, the pagans come to, that it would be a place that we could truly say God abides here and His power also. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen.